Welcome to The Daily Drive with Josh Downs, a podcast where I'll be sharing principles and insights each and every day to help you on your personal journey through life. Things to better help you move forward from wherever you are to where you want to be. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Daily Drive with Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 450, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. Now, I've heard this statement recently while watching a show on TV, and I know that I've heard it before, as I'm sure that you have, but it's just one of those statements that is good to hear often because, well, have you ever seen a kid that was just in awe of something that was shiny and new? I mean, when a kid wants something, they almost can't think of or see anything else, right? They're blinded by what is glittering in front of them. As an example, lately my daughters have become quite obsessed with Nike Dunk shoes. <laughs> By the way, whatever happened to being able to buy our kids shoes for like 25, 30 bucks? <laughs> I mean, now I feel lucky that I if I can get some for 130 bucks. Apparently for teenagers, these shoes have become quite the mm, glittery fashion trend and have been catching a lot of eyes. Well, you know what though, truth be told, we as adults really aren't that different, are we? We fix our eyes and minds on things that we want as well and often become just as blinded by their glitteriness that uh, we have a hard time seeing anything else. Most of us at one point or another had the goal to be financially successful. And I remember being in my 20s and thinking how I was going to conquer the financial world. I had lofty goals and was just beginning to experience the taste of financial success that was and is so appealing in the world. But the question that I would eventually have to answer for myself, as really we all do, is was I going to go about getting that financial success and achieving my goals in the way that the Savior would have me achieve them? To those disciples that followed Jesus, he taught, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. And where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He also taught, For no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And James put it another way when he said, Pure religion is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In an article in my church magazine written by Quinn G. McKay, he asked the question, Is the acquisition of wealth therefore evil? Not necessarily. As one prophet pointed out, we may seek for riches after we have obtained a hope in Christ, if we seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and afflicted. Seeking the kingdom of God then must always be the major focus of any activity that we undertake if we are to live righteously and enjoy the riches of eternity. One of the highest rungs on the ladder to living righteously is loving our neighbor as ourself. That is that we must be as concerned about others' well-being as our own. And by contrast, the worldly primarily seek riches, power, position, and recognition. And their motivation for seeking wealth usually lies in the desire to enjoy what's called the good life, right? Fast cars, big houses, expensive clothes, and luxurious travel. But now listen to this statement he makes. Their charitable contributions are made only after these primary goals are achieved. And even their charity is often clouded by ulterior motives, the need to save taxes or gain further power and prestige. And you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. 
it can be very easy for charitable contributions to take a backseat and to come second after these types of primary goals have been achieved. Worldly success, he points out, almost always measured in terms of financial success, is sometimes justified by such statements as, but look how much good his money does. Does it matter if his motivation is wrong? Now I want you to listen to this line of thinking and see if you've seen this in those that have achieved financial success, and in some ways even in ourselves. The answer, of course, is yes, it does matter. One of the reasons that the world's preoccupation with financial success fails is that it tends to breed selfishness. First and foremost is the desire to get what I want. Cars, houses, swimming pools, jewelry, and so on. These efforts to gain the good life for me and mine may lead one to think, I worked hard for this. I deserve it. If others were more ambitious, they could have it too implying that the poor are such because they are unwilling to work or less deserving. The danger with this thinking is that this attitude leaves one reluctant to go without so another with less might have. It doles the spirit of sacrifice and feeds a spirit of avarice, self-aggrandizement, and pride. One prophet pointing out this danger observed how it began to creep into some of the early members of the church when he said the people of the church began to wax proud because of their exceeding riches and their fine silks and their gold and silver. They began to set their hearts upon riches and the vain things of the world, so much so that there was great inequality among the people, some lifting themselves up with their pride, despising others, turning their backs on the needy and the naked. It seems to be a fact of human nature that those engaged in pursuing the good life also spend much time, energy, and money seeking association with the wealthy, the powerful, and the famous as well. They live where there are no poor, socialize in private clubs where there are no poor, travel first class, and otherwise isolate themselves from regular exposure to the needy, except for occasional giving on the street or to the seasonal charities. Such benign neglect can often be as devastating as deliberate reviling of the poor. This is in contrast to him whom we claim to follow, who deliberately lived with and for the most part regularly sought out the poor and needy. Years ago, I went through a very interesting transition with my work. I was a seminary teacher for a period of about 10 years with really a very modest pay. And although I never went without, I also never had much excess. Then I transitioned to working in medical device sales, which was a completely different world. And I realized just how different of a world it was when I was first invited to dinner by my new manager at a rather upscale steakhouse downtown that, quite frankly, I'd never eaten at before. And it was amazing. Probably one of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. Probably one of the best meals I've ever had in my life, especially because I didn't have to pay for it. But I had never had such an expensive meal before. That much I know. I was amazed at how much was spent with such little disregard for it. I would experience many such meals during my time as a medical device rep, meals that would run sometimes in the thousands of dollars for just a handful of people. Again, it would be easy to think, well, I deserve this. I got this job. I work for a great company. But as I left that first night, something didn't quite feel right to me, especially as I walked past several homeless individuals wrapped up in blankets, tucked into building corners and doorways, simply trying to keep warm. And I knew what that feeling was. It was a warning to me 
not to lose sight of the reason God blesses us with more. It's not because we're any more deserving than anyone else, but so that we can help those who have less. I knew that if I wasn't careful, I could lose sight of that because of the glitter of the life that was now calling to me. As Quinn mentions in his article, for many, even those who have started out with good intentions, the earnest pursuit of riches too easily gives way to greed. This phenomenon is known as the frog principle. It's said that if a frog were dropped into a pan of boiling water, it would immediately jump out to save its life. However, if that same frog were placed in a pan of cold water and the heat was gradually turned up, the amphibian would stay put until cooked. When pursuing wealth for the wrong reasons, it is very easy for the frog principle to take over. The process of accumulating a large enough bank account to acquire that nice car whets the appetite for a fur coat, and then jewelry to go with the fur coat, then a better house to go with the car, and then better furniture to go with the house, (laughs) and on and on and on. All of this requires more and more money until a person's appetite for luxury devolves into a spirit of avarice. This frog principle illustrates really just how subtle greed can be. Greed can be such a powerful emotion that it can be surprising what someone is willing to do in pursuit of all that glitters. Numerous individuals have succumbed to embezzlement and to fraud and a host of other ways to take advantage of one's neighbor instead of looking out for and loving them. And for those that witness or experience this kind of behavior firsthand, it often comes as a surprise with many questions and comments being asked such as, has he always been a crook? He seemed like such a nice, generous, thoughtful man. How could he be so dishonest? Didn't he know that what he was doing was wrong? Was it someone else who made him do it? We grew up together. I never dreamed he could do such a thing. Well, that's the frog principle at work. People sometimes encounter and fall victim to it as they pursue their careers. When first starting work with an organization, some receive propositions to do certain things so unethical that they dismiss the idea with a resolute never. But as time passes, however, they may slip into deeds that are very questionable. The allure of the good life And associating with those who are preoccupied with expensive cars, big houses, luxurious travel, vacation homes, and big investments cause people to think and feel differently. As one prophet in scripture lamented to those whom he had seen become corrupted by the pursuit of wealth, said, How could you have forgotten your God? Behold, it is to get gain, to be praised of men, yea, that ye might get gold and silver." And he goes on to state a very difficult truth, how setting one's heart upon riches causes people to bear false witness, to steal, to plunder, and even murder. As Quinn writes, in summary, centering our thoughts on obtaining riches tends to feed many of the sinful inclinations of man, often edging people away from the Christ-like life rather than pulling them toward it. By contrast, centering our thoughts and desires on the Lord and His work inclines one to become more like Him in several important ways. First, selfishness and greed are eliminated. Because one's eye is kept focused on keeping the commandments and using what means one acquires to help provide for the needs of those who are without. Second, the sin of pride is precluded because sharing and compassion are the motivating forces in our lives. Whatever wealth we obtain serves as a resource for generosity, rather than the means for boasting and ostentation. Third, we remain other-oriented. We keep Christ first, our neighbor second, and ourselves third, a very spiritually healthy order of priorities. 
In life, there will be much that will call us with glittery promises of wealth and success and power, but there is a real danger in seeking these things ahead of seeking the kingdom of God. In fact, wealth has very little to do with one's ability to serve the Lord, as there are opportunities all around us, regardless of our state of wealth, to lift others, to serve others, to help others, to love others, and to be kind to others, to give of what we have, however much we may have. I am so looking forward to this holiday season because of the spirit of giving that is always present during it, and because I know of the opportunities that I will have to give of what I can to others. I can't wait to give more pies out to gas station attendants on Thanksgiving and to pass out Christmas cards to those that I'm led to on Christmas Eve. And I hope to have many of you join me in these experiences. They will change you and remind you of where true gold is found, which is in people and always has been and always will be found in people. And it will help you to see more of the opportunities that are all around us to lift and to love every single day. If we want wealth, we would do well to remember the Lord's counsel. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom. And behold, the mysteries of God shall be enfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Now thanks for listening today, everyone. I hope today you'll catch yourself just long enough to look away from all the glitters in this world and remind yourself of where true gold is found where real wealth is acquired, and where real treasure can be stored up. Because it isn't here on earth, but in heaven. That's where the riches of eternity will be given to those who have learned to give away the riches of this earth. And that sounds like a pretty fair trade to me. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy a good steak dinner once in a while, but let's just make sure we don't put the accumulation of wealth before charity and before God. Let's learn to put charity and God first and the accumulation of wealth second. Remember today, when you have the opportunity to help someone, that all that glitters isn't gold, and all that is gold doesn't always glitter. Until next time, I'm Josh Downs, and you're listening to The Daily Drive.